Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Shannon Strucci. And today we're talking about two very, very, very special movies uh, made by one of the greatest uh, film directors alive, Bong Joon-ho. Um, both of these movies are about ultimately about how um, we need to probably almost certainly kill a bunch of rich people <laughs> if we're ever going to live lives as full humans. Um, and we should do it sooner than any of the people in these films do. Like, I think the main problem with both of these movies is that they just wait too long to knock off the rich people and then things go wrong. But yeah, these are uh, two warnings for us that we need to go ahead and take down capitalism, starting with the pigs at the top. Um, but, um, and those films are, of course, Snowpiercer, you know, the very underrated uh, sci-fi film. Um, underrated in part because uh, Harvey Weinstein produced this movie and tried to bury it because no. he didn't like some of the themes uh, in it. And, of course, he's a <laughs> fucking scumbag. Uh, uh-huh. So fuck him if you haven't. Uh, it's his fault that you only saw Snowpiercer on Netflix as opposed right. to in the theater. Bong Jung, whose uh, new film, uh, Parasite, which is getting rave reviews all over the place. You can probably catch it in the theater right now. I would definitely, definitely recommend that. I would also yeah. let you know. In fact, that I are- recommend not listening to this episode and going to check it out if you're if you're gonna watch it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we will be talking about spoilers. Uh, so Parasite is a bit of a thriller with a few twists and turns. So you know we're adults here. We don't make a big deal about spoilers. But if you do care about spoilers, maybe this one is one to skip. And uh, listen, I'm someone who doesn't care that much about spoilers, and I will say this is this would be a this is a good movie to not know what's going to happen when you like start to watch it. So, as someone who typically doesn't give a shit about that kind of thing, I I have to recommend uh trying to go into this movie uh uh, you know, without having seen anything. Uh but if you don't want to, continue listening. And we have a special guest. Uh, very happy to have him on. He is a science fiction author. He uh, wrote uh, the Void Witch Saga. Um, you can get his books uh, anywhere you can get book good books. I'm actually a little bit upset with him because when I re- oh read the description <laughs> of the Void Witch Saga, I was like, oh, that's the book I wanted to write. But he's already <laughs> done it. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey J. White. Oh, it's great to be on. Um big fan of the show so if i ever go weirdly quiet it's probably because i'm sitting here feeling like i'm listening to an episode of the podcast so <laughs> you know, shannon will be able to talk you through the parasocial aspects of appearing <laughs> on the podcast i was about to make that joke but i was like that's a vain joke to make so i won't make it <laughs> okay so let's start first um with snow piercer and our overall impression uh, maybe maybe like, maybe even it's interesting to talk about how you heard about this film because it was buried. Um, this is a movie that I never heard anybody mention until I watched it. I it was just a random thing I saw on Netflix uh, one day. Yeah, uh, added uh, you know it was just on there. I was digging deep looking for something to watch, and then I watched this film, and it's like, oh, this is a high budget 
you know, f- fantastic film, high concept, starring one of the biggest movie stars in America mm-hmm. and one and the biggest movie star in uh, Korea, by the way, and Tilda Swinton and Octavia Spencer uh, and Ed Harris and, and John Hurt. Hurt. I had, yeah. I had yeah. never Damn. heard of it. Uh, and it just absolutely positively blew me away. This is such a wonderful movie. Um, God damn, I watched it again today and I just felt like in awe of it all over yeah. again. It's just, it's just almost like the perfect movie. Oh, for yeah, sure. I mean, Snowpiercer from, from top to bottom, like, is, you know, uh, I, again, I, I kind of think Bong Joon Ho is maybe, like, one of the better living directors right now. And, you know, He's the top way five. that he. Yeah, like that, you know, and Snowpiercer is another example of, you know, he's able to sort of like weave together, you know, really good action, you know, really high stakes and like fucked up and sort of crazy scenes with also like a lot of humor and a lot of like sort of fun characters and stuff like that. I, I, I love Snowpiercer. Well, here in Melbourne, we've actually got a really good like art house movie scene. And so I'm pretty sure I saw this in cinema because I've, I feel like I've always known about this movie ever since it came out. Um, my housemate would have already known who Bong Joon-ho was because she's a big fan of Korean cinema. Um, and yeah, so exactly like Leslie said, it's an incredible film. One of those rare kind of large budget science fiction films that actually has something to say, not like so much other pap. And just yes, <laughs> yeah, incredible from start to finish. Yeah, I think like film Twitter is a stupid nightmare a lot of the time. But I would have either <laughs> heard about this on film Twitter or like I was in I think I was in college or had just graduated college when it came out, and I had a bunch of film nerd friends. So I think I got to see it in theaters too, which is really cool. Uh, very fortunate to have that experience because outside of that, I would never have heard of it. Yeah, I never saw, I did not see it in theaters. I think I heard about it from someone, you know, either a film nerd friend or maybe someone who was in the position that you were in, Leslie, uh, where they had just watched like a weird movie on Netflix and they told me to watch it. But I saw it on Netflix and was similarly sort of like, why is this hidden away uh, on Netflix? <laughs> Yeah, and the thing of it be about it being like hidden away that kind of bothers me because I showed this to my brother too, and my brother is not like he loves movies, but you know, like usually big bus budget, you know, blockbuster thing, accessible stuff, maybe a crime drama or two, but he loved this as well. This is a film that could have been like a hit. This is a film mm-hmm. that general audiences could get into could love it's even though it has a really really high high concept and it kind of asks a lot of you at times this is something that you know anybody can enjoy i think this is what this is the type of cinema that martin scorsese is talking about and wants to see (laughs) more of i think I thought I didn't know until i was just looking it up for this that parasites already made more money than than snowpiercer did it's a much oh, yeah. it wow. seems like a much smaller movie. It made over 109 yeah, million crazy. or something. Well, I, was I like, guess wow. because it was like actually released in theaters <laughs> is probably why, you know. <laughs> it wasn't released on a platform where like they don't do sales. It's I, I have forgotten uh how uh the intro scene when I uh watched it, but until I watched it today, where they actually explain like exactly how the world got so fucked up, where they show the planes uh putting the chemical in the air to basically uh stop the progress of global warming but it ends up immediately uh 
retreat in short order, freezing the entire planet. And the mm-hmm. only people left living are the ones who were able to hop on the train that was this crazy, this uh, crazy train that went all over the world made by like a Elon Musk guy, right? <laughs> and everybody yeah. was like, oh, he's just, you know, this kooky guy who wants to make a train to go all around the world, whatever. But that ended up being like the last uh, viable place to live which of course you know is already a ask for the audience because as we know all our millionaires and billionaires have no interest in trains and st- instead they want to build they don't super want rail f- transit no they want to build super fast tunnels for like single cars to go down <laughs> or like rockets and shit uh into space or whatever they don't care about trains even though like they are cool and good but yeah that's the first ask that, you know, any billionaire will actually do like a mass transit thing, whatever, build <laughs> something that more than five people could fit on. The story is that, you know, it's been 18 years since this world has ended and everybody's on this car. And it's, you know, Bong Joon-ho, he's, he hits you over the head with this. All his films are about how much capitalism sucks, at least the last few. Yeah. And so all the poor people are in the back of the train and they're treated like shit and garbage and they eat you know nothing but uh these protein bars that we find out later are made of insects they're Quite under like the yeah they're <laughs> under the they're under the heel of you know the people who live in the front of the car who have better clothing better food and of and of course you know a massive armed police force uh who keeps everything in line and keeps everyone in their place and continuing with the metaphor, so Chris Evans is our main character, and he's the guy who wants to, like, get to the front of the train and take it over so he can help people because people are starving, people are sick. And, now, and you know, if it's not enough, the rich people also come, you know, every so often and kidnap the children of the poor people. Just just to make it very, very clear, like, what's going on uh, in this film and on this train and in this world at Bong Joon-ho's created – and I have to say, I like I like how on the nose it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, subtext is mm-hmm. for cowards, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> it's very imaginative. Yes, and, and weird. Like I, the first time I watched it, when they get to the aquarium car, it reminded me of something in like One Piece, like the sea train arc of that. <laughs> it's like so crazy and over the top, but it still hits really hard and has an emotional yeah, grounding I, to it. There was. I remember when I was like first watching this movie, I kind of was like dreading a little bit the like it all takes place on a trainness of it yeah. you know what i mean like because there's something that could feel very sort of like claustrophobic about that and yeah i think it is let's speak to like how good of a director that he is that you know it it kind of simultaneously does feel claustrophobic and like a train the entire time but it's uh, the, the what he does with the environments uh um uh, and you know sort of you know, like like you were saying, Leslie, this kind of like, you know, no subtlety kind of uh, approach. You know, honestly, you know, as I was watching it, I was like thinking, I was like, you know, I think that this like works really well because whenever you're on a plane, don't you feel like this is where like a revolution should start? You know what I mean? Like when you're <laughs> like, like crammed in. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. When you're on a train or when you're on a plane and you're like crammed three to a person and like the seats are all small and you have to like walk past the people like in their like giant recliners in first <laughs> class. It's like there's kind of no more like at no other time is there like as stark. At, you don't you walk through you know 
know, first class to get to coach. And, you know, so I, I kind of think that like the train works really well for that, you know, uh, uh, because there are first class, you know, uh, cars built into the idea of a train. <laughs> And not just first class cars, but where you've got saunas and you've got like nightclubs. They don't just have like <laughs> a little bit of luxury. They've got everything they could fucking want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has everything that you could find like in our real world on this train. So when uh, Jack, when you mentioned like how it feels, you were worried about it being claustrophobic. This film feels so much bigger than mm-hmm. like any Marvel movie. This <laughs> takes or yeah. this takes place in a bigger world than the new Star Wars films does. <laughs> like that's how it feels because you know there are certainly more people on the train in Snowpiercer than there are in the entire universe of Disney Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and, and more actual and, constructed sets. Yes, yes, like yeah, it, true. Yeah. Just, it's a really beautiful film to to look at. Like all, like all the train cars are very interesting and different, and it's just like a really like I, I, I'm just blown away by like how good it looks, and that like this was the equivalent of like a direct to DVD movie because Harvey yeah. Weinstein was an asshole and didn't like uh, the best scene in the film, basically. But we'll get to that. Uh, I was about to say I have the interview pulled up on my phone because like, we can't not talk about the. Film. <laughs> oh, because that interview is so funny but well yeah with the fish scene that ties into something that i like with the movie and how unsubtle it is i see the whole thing as being an allegory like classic sci-fi allegory and so when you see something that is so particular like the fish scene it just makes me wonder like is that an allegory for something and i'm just missing the context like how much how many layers are there in this and because of who <laughs> oh you the mean when they is, cut the fish open yeah and it's like creating uh. poison or like yeah to me it just feels like there's got to be layers to those scenes I felt it was more like ceremonial because i feel like the guards for some mm. reason take great pleasure in their job there's that one scene where they have to take the break while they're having this massive fight in order to announce the new year and all the guards are genuinely happy and smiling at these people that they're slaughtering like like it's just another like another day on the job for them or something like that and it's just like the fish scene to me felt like it was more like ceremonial we're gonna get blood on our axes now because we're about to bloody them for real but i don't know Mm -hmm. the indie wire piece i was looking at says it was to intimidate them it's Uh, just like a weird thing (laughs) oh it's like a haka yeah yeah like that yeah it was like a weird thing and it looked cool it's kind of what it is it's like bong joon ho and his cinematographer were like we shot this thing with like the fish and it fucking looks awesome you know what i mean (laughs) and harvey weinstein so yeah i think you were you were referencing this should we should we talk about this like that this scene was supposed to go Oh, I thought it was the other. I thought it was the other scene, the Chris Evans scene at the end, where he talks about uh, eating babies. No, uh, there's a scene is, where it's scene. about the gutting the fish. Oh, is it the gutting the fish one? I, I heard about yeah. the baby one too. Maybe it's maybe it was both of them. But go ahead. Yeah. No, so Harvey Harvey, I guess, hated the fish scene. So Harvey hated the gutting the fish scene and wanted there to be more action. And so Bong Joon Ho lied to him and said that it's because the scene is like dedicated to his father, who was a fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Weinstein was like, family's the most important thing. And Bong Joon Ho, like in the interview, is like, 
It was a fucking lie. My father is not a fisherman. <laughs> Which, by the way, strikes me as very true. You know, people like producers in Hollywood really do like a weird personal connection to things to, to the degree that I I know people who have pitched things and they like make up family members so that they can like lie about having a personal connection to this topic. They're like, my like uncle is a doctor or whatever. Well, the other thing is like that Harvey totally missed was that the fish needs to be there because Chris Evans has to slip on it and fall on his ass. It's like a whole slow yeah. motion. <laughs> True. Yeah. So let, let's, let's talk about the fight scene because it's actually shocking to see a fight scene, fight scenes as good as, as this in a film that's not an action movie and by a director, not particularly known for being like an action uh director even though he does have uh action in all his films like the way the action scenes in this are just so perfect and good and could be in like any great you know action uh film but they're in but he's not really he doesn't really seem that concerned with action like uh for i mean in parasite there's not a ton of ton of action but he is just like it seems like a weird flex that he shows that he can direct <laughs> action scenes better than almost anybody else and then he doesn't do it sometimes yeah i think it does just show his skill like you said he doesn't need to be an action director he's just got the fundamentals on every level to pull it off without you know barely trying it seems yeah like it seems like effortless um because every every shot looks great like i I think i'm actually you know one thing that's strange to me is like why isn't the um the account that the one perfect shot account shouldn't every like tweet they make be about this film because it is very symmetrical (laughs) since it takes place on the train um, but uh, they should love they should love this movie. I don't but- trust that account. I've seen some shots on there that are not perfect. No, I'll tell you that much right I now. Think I think most seen of them non perfect <laughs> shots on I think there. Most of them are like barely good shots. They're just like they put something <laughs> in the middle. Um, but this has a lot of symmetrical stuff that still like uh, looks really cool. Like I. Just going through this film, like there's so much like good stuff. Like Tilda Swinton's uh, masterful performance as you know uh, the evil. Like uh, what is her job title? Does what? What is her uh, function? She's like I don't know, like a prime minister. Minister? Yeah, like a minister. (laughs) Wiki page says Minister Mason. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. She's definitely like the figurehead because Wilfred's too important to get um. To get interrupted, so she gets the shitty work. Yeah, so she's <laughs> Theresa May, and Wilford is like <laughs> the queen uh, of England, uh, or or she's more like Bor- I guess Boris Johnson, and uh, he's the queen. Uh, but yeah, it's there's so many good performances, and I actually really, really did love Chris Evans uh, in this. I know he's yeah, he's good in it. He, I know he's Captain America most of the time, but I think that actually informs the role um, because you're used to seeing him as you know the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, all-American guy, and in this one, he's the um, murderous. Uh, he's the violent revolutionary, <laughs> filthy, willing willing yeah. to take down the system. Even his and hair is the, like he's jacked the guilty up. cannibal. Yeah, and he's a cannibal too. He's the guilty cannibal. Like there's, you know, he's playing. He's an anti-hero at first, and then we just see that he's this immensely um, broken 
a man who really doesn't know what to do. And we find out towards the end that this mission, this revolution that he's doing is part of the lie. It's very Matrix like, right? Where I was gonna say it's very it's very Matrix in the end here. Yeah, yeah. He gets to the to the you know, the watchmakers dungeon or whatever. The architect. <laughs> the architect, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he meets the architect in the scene that's a lot better than the one in the Matrix. I to, you know, now that I think about it, he, they go through the rave too. There's a rave in it, like the Matrix as well. <laughs> Except the ravers like come and try to fight back and shit. Like this is, I, I really like that. You know, this film kind of hinges on the fact that. Um, uh, a character fucked up by taking a raver's drugs and that's why the entire human race has to die they, he took all the drugs from the ravers and they came for him and the whole plan with the shit don't fuck with ravers folks <laughs> I guess that's a lesson yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know at the end where you find out that you know this whole re- plan revolution is actually part is part of the plan um at, of milford you know he says you know there's a certain amount of chaos that you need to have and we also need to kill off a bunch of people in order to keep uh, the train uh running efficiently you know of course this is a metaphor for like co-opting uh revolutionaries um and chris evans is kind of broken by this you know you could look at this and see it kind of as a criticism of like being revolutionary right like because it's part of the system it could be suggesting that you know ultimately we do need um a system running but of course uh our boy uh blows up the train like two <laughs> seconds later and shows that no no you can't have a system running that runs on everybody being that requires every, most people to be slaves like mm-hmm. he's like there's a specific scene where he's looking at the engine and he sees how beautiful it is and then he looks back at like the five-year-old having to like move <laughs> the crap from one part of the engine to the other in order to keep it running and he's just like uh, actually fuck this this does not work yeah well he finds out that the system <laughs> literally devours children and that's the only time that he can actually you know take a, a step back from it and see see it for what it really is but see my take on it is slightly different i don't think it's possibly anti-revolutionary i think it's anti-centrist because ah, I yeah. think, mm. yeah, Chris Evans's character, he's the classic centrist. He thinks that everything's going to be fixed just as soon as they get the bad man out of the Oval Office. I mean, out of yeah. the engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the truth is that, like, the only people who actually understand the truth of it are Min Su and Yona because they know that, like, the system itself, the train, is the problem and the whole thing needs to be torn down or at least escaped if they want to have a future. I like that. I think that makes sense. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also, you know, the idea of uh, Chris Evans as a centrist, you know, who's like, uh, uh, you know, which is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's because he's like uh, in real uh, life you know, in the past, <laughs> yeah, in just like life. in real life, he started his like centrist program or whatever. Uh, yeah, he's also it's a centrist in the sense that he's like, you know, I want to do good things, but also I used to eat babies, uh, <laughs> so I've done a lot. <laughs> So that influences my politics, too. <laughs> you know, it is kind of funny. Like, he starred in Snowpiercer. How does how did he come away with this and saying, actually, we need to hear both sides about this? Like, this is a <laughs> film about how he, him, all his friends, all the people he works for are, like, slave owners, basically. And how, I don't know how you star in this movie and then go away and say, oh, well, I guess I'll, si- I'll re-sign with uh, Disney again and keep doing uh, that crap i don't know i don't get it um 
He never but, got to the baby level. <laughs> he never he got never to looked the... back at the ba- little baby in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure in Disney Studios somewhere they do have babies cranking something. They probably <laughs> they have, have enslaved children. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, right before we recorded, I rewatched the Every Frame of Painting about Snowpiercer and the Memories of Murder one. They're both really good. And in the uh, Snowpiercer one, Tony Joe, t- well, he, probably Taylor Ramos covered it too, but Tony Joe talks about like looking screen left versus, versus looking screen right and decisions and like being pulled back versus forward. It's only like three minutes long. It's really good. Just, and also just about Bong Joon Ho's like incredible filmmaking skills. Yeah. And I also want to shout out to, um, uh, Song Kang Ho, who is, uh, who is, you know, fantastic in this. He's amazing. In everything. He's, I think he's, yeah. after watching Snowpiercer, um, and, um, Parasite, he might be like one of my favorite actors. He's just so good, um, in basically everything, uh, he's in. And he's really like, in, even though he does have a very limited role and he only speaks in the second language, um, he's still like absolutely masterful in this i mean he's just great in everything and I, I really wish uh that this film had been like bigger in the u.s uh because he could have gotten more roles from that that's really uh mm-hmm. one disappointing one of the many crimes that harvey weinstein uh, committed <laughs> <laughs> yeah the scene where he's um holding on to his daughter and um, they're looking at the frozen people outside it's just like everything about that scene amidst all the chaos is perfect and a lesser actor you know couldn't have done that couldn't have um, pulled off that scene in the middle of all that crazy action yeah it, it, it actually really you know impresses me like how many great performances there are uh, in this film which is you know this is not in um uh bong ju ho's uh first language but he still has like a very tight control about the tone and of all the dialogue it never you know and all the acting like it never it this could be a very like silly movie right at times but it's very uh i mean it could have been a very silly movie even because it's very funny at times and a little bit over the top but it never gets to that point it always feels like very strong very emotional like the scene that really gets me is when uh like the the, um like the uh yakuza guy uh gets killed the one who's really really good at martial arts and he gets stabbed in the heart and he's just like kind of like almost crying because he knows he can't fight it off like that scene just fucking kills me every time i see it and it's mm-hmm. just that's just such an intimate scene during this big action scene and it's, i'm just so impressed but overall by the filmmaking of this like every moment is just like perfect i could i'll be watching this film like forever because it, there's just so many good parts in it i've rewatched it three times just since we started talking about doing this episode and every time <laughs> i was just sucked right into it because it is that good it's fantastic i was working on my top 10 yeah. of the decade list and some stuff i was like i don't know but snowpiercer was never coming off <laughs> that was gonna be on there <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's a it's a shame that it was uh, that it was buried and it sits, you know, among like uh, a bunch of sort of direct to video Christmas movies on Netflix and <laughs> shit. Because uh, yeah, it is like uh, definitely one of the best of the decade, uh, maybe of the of the ongoing century so far. So, do we think that um, the kids who made it off um, survived? Well, do we think Volume Three of the comics is canon or not? 
Did everyone read that uh, far into it? Oh, there's comics. See, wow. Tori, that's yeah. why I wanted to have you on because we have not, I haven't read the comics, but you have. And, oh. uh, what, is there anything very different about, um, the film, uh, as opposed to the comics from what they, you know, where they overlap? Well, the first time I read the comic, like volume one, I remember being really disappointed because it was nothing like the movie. But then I went back to reread it like a couple of weeks ago. And everything from the movie is there. It's just that in the comic, it's like quite a dry, uh, slow, talky kind of comic book. And so like the massacre and the rebellion happened, but it happened in the past. And it's just something that they like talk about. Whereas in the movie, mm. that's one of the central scenes. So everything is there. It's like the, the movie is an action remix of the first volume of the comic. And then the second volume it kind of starts to get weird and sci-fi and it's very cool. But then with the third mm. one, which they only published, I think last year, they've actually made the film canon by bringing in those two surviving characters and having them meet the crew from the Snowpiercer of the original comics. So it gets a bit weird and I don't know if I like it because um, I prefer the movie as a standalone thing. But um the comics are definitely interesting. I'll, I'll give them that. So are they worth reading overall, do you think? Uh, it's hard to say because um, the hardcovers aren't cheap and I couldn't find yeah. them uh, on the seven seas anywhere. But yeah. um, <laughs> I love you know, if, <laughs> <laughs> if you love the movie as much as I do, then you're going to, and you know, you just like science fiction comics in general, you're going to find bits and pieces in there that are really cool. But on the whole, just rewatch the movie and save yourself like a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, cause there is going to be a Snowpiercer TV series coming out in uh, 2020. Um, I actually wonder if they're going to reprint the mm. comics in a more affordable edition. Um, Jennifer Colli uh, Jennifer Connelly is uh, actually going to be in it. So I'll definitely be uh, watching it because I'll watch anything with her in it. I don't know how well like the because the film is just so tight right like it just feels like it tells you everything you need to know and it's kind of hard for me to imagine it being like a drawn out like soap opera is the comp would the comic be like a little bit better for that sort of thing or not there's definitely stuff that they can run with from the comics like in volume two they start to kind of, it's called the explorers because they put on these big like snowsuits and slow the train down so they can go and explore the frozen ruins of the old world. So there's definitely some stuff there. Volume three kind of feels like it could have been the story of one of the vaults in a Bethesda Fallout game. So that could almost be like oh, okay. a season of TV. But um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of fodder in the comics that they could do. And the most recent comic, the prequel, um, that feels like it was written for the TV show. It definitely feels like it's setting up a show rather oh, than trying to tie into the comics. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, so final ratings for Snowpiercer, everyone. I will give this, you know, I got to give it straight up a 10 out of 10 um, babies taste the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I give it ten out of ten yeah, chunks of chrono. 
<laughs> I, I will have to give it a baby on the on the scale of uh, which type of human tastes best. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to give it baby because it's the best type. Yeah. The, the, uh, the gold. That's getting the gold, basically, is, is uh, baby. It's 10 out of 10 cockroach bars. It's so yeah. good. I love this movie. You know, I have to not. I have to say the one scene that maybe doesn't hold up is the cockroach bar CGI scene. That's the only one. Mm. It, yeah, it has other CGI in it. I think it's mostly pretty good. I think the one thing is, you know, they should just ground up some real cockroaches and because <laughs> people do that. <laughs> it's not very nice to the cockroaches. I mean, if you could get in the trouble with it, does yeah, you get with in the trouble with the uh, yeah, yeah. Can't you crush can't. a bug like that, Leslie. How dare you? <laughs> cockroaches are people too. What are you fucking? You're like the director of Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> when crush cockroaches like that. Jesus. All right. So moving on to the brand new film, Parasite. And yeah. as Shannon said earlier, this film is a hit. Um, it won the Palme d'Or at uh, Cannes. It's, uh, people are going wild for it. It is actually getting a fairly decent, uh, release in the U.S. right now. Um, as, as I said before, uh, go see it because we're about to go talk, dive into some spoilers. And I, j- I just got done watching it. And all I have to say is, wow, like, you know, you're supposed a person is only supposed to have one masterpiece, but our boy <laughs> Bong Joon Ho has has another one with this one. I, I mean, he's got more than just the two actually. Yeah, the memories is, uh, of murder really is wild. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, memories of murder too. I like but the yeah, host. No, I don't know if the host is up here if they're with these, but. I, I think the host too, but I also, but I, I don't think I could argue that it's like an all timer, like everyone must watch the host. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I love it because I like, I, you know, because uh, I like stuff like that, I guess. Uh, but it also has a lot of the stuff that makes all of his work really good. But Parasite, it's fucking incredible. Parasite is, uh, another, uh, another home run, uh, from Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. He's, he's got at least three classics and Parasite, like to say the Parasite is his best movie. Like I think you can definitely say that, and it just shows you how much he's like, uh, how hard he's working to. uh, Yeah, exactly. To do better than Snowpiercer and Memories of Murder is huge. Yeah, really. I mean, to come to come out of the gate with the host and to have outdone himself so many times in his career already (laughs) is pretty fucking incredible. Oh, actually, Memories of Murder was before uh, the host. Is is that true? It was his second movie. Shocked by that, to be honest with you. Sorry. I haven't seen Mother. Mother. That's the one I really want well, to see. If, I've heard Mother's yeah, really good Mother too. Yeah. yeah, if you like Parasite, definitely watch Mother because it's much. It's a. It's the closest film and style and theme to Parasite. It's much. It's because it is another kind of family uh, drama uh, going on with that. But Parasite, man, it's just such a such a great thriller where you don't know what's going to happen. It's full of interesting characters f- interesting but flawed characters who are giving great performances um it has you know a couple a uh, couple of you know rich asshole villains that <laughs> you know you're you're gonna want to get their justice certs um and they do for the most part and it's just 
I, I, I really, I, I, I went in not knowing anything about the movie. I just heard people saying, Oh, it's about class. Um, which is cool. And I deliberately tried not to know anything about it. So I was very like surprised and shocked going, uh, through it, like all the twists and turns it sort of takes. Uh, and again, um, this is a film where you are hit over the head um, with the metaphor. There's a great uh, <laughs> quote that's going around uh, where he says that when I made this film, I want to talk about things, you know, specific happening in korea but what i found out is that we all live in one country and it's called capitalism yeah. it's so good now, it's such a good quote now, uh, yeah if snowpiercer wasn't enough to convince you that he's a leftist then you know com comrade bong joon ho comes out with parasite just so there's no doubt yeah i mean that is a that's the kind of quote i think actually that kind of like you know uh uh uh, diagnoses our time in a really succinct way to be honest with you <laughs> like that is a uh, uh, a pretty powerful statement about like what it feels like to be under global capitalism and i think something that can like uh, uh i don't know that it it actually makes me feel closer to the rest of the world to be honest with you absolutely <laughs> yeah because it, it's it, it's really interesting because when i like even looking at the rich parent the rich folks house like it has a lot as style that looks you know, both American and, but like the American style that has been copied from like Norwegian, Norwegians and like Ikea. It has like, you know, all that influences. Like the darter is trying to learn English. They're, they drive, I think it's a, is it a BMW or a Lex, a Lexus? A BMW. Yeah. Like all these, you know, ties to, you know, Europe and the U.S. and basically showing us that rich people are kind of all in it together across the globe. Like the magazine cover that um, the 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 father of the uh, rich people is on is a is an American magazine. It's like you know it's all it's an English article showing him you know being very successful in the Western world too. So I, I think that's fairly uh, deliberate uh, of Bong Joon Ho to show us that you know. It's a global thing. It's not just, you know, this this guy who's, you know, very successful in Korea, but his wealth allows him access uh, to the world that while this other family, the Kim family, live in, you know, a basement and don't get to see anything. And their own their window is just of a street corner where people const are constantly pissing on. That's basically uh, their window the to the world. Same with the fumigation. <laughs> Uh, fuck, Oof. that cracks me up. <laughs> God. I mean, I went in not knowing what this movie was going to be about, and I'm, you know, I, I'm very happy with what the plot ended up being. But in watching that, like, gassing scene, I was like, oh, this is, like, where, like, the zombie movie of it <laughs> all starts, to, like, starts or whatever. Oh, there's a bug. Like, uh, it's there's a no, but it's so funny bug. that, like, when it comes when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, that's just like the hell of living. Like, it's not like an inciting <laughs> incident. It's just like everyday life in hell. Yeah, that's just what it is to be poor, or not even poor, just yeah. like, you know, struggling, is you literally get gassed. Not rich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the uh, Kim family, they're basically, they start their film basically all unemployed, uh, aside from this really shitty part-time job where they, like, fold pizza boxes. 
and like just get paid by the box and then mm-hmm. like and then you know a mother a father you know two kids who are like college age you know they're all adults and like the teen boss of the like pizza company comes and like yells at them for not folding the boxes like correctly and properly like immediately like having that level of denigration for like these older folks who have done a lot of work in their lives and you know these college aged uh, uh, kids where they're like getting talked down to um, on this shitty job that doesn't even pay them anything like but you know it would the turn happens when um, the son's you know friend who's doing a little better who's in college uh, comes and says hey you should tutor uh this rich girl that i tutor as well um uh, while i'm overseas because he's doing a little bit better in uh in school and then it all like you know becomes this you know massive like very fun to watch con job that the whole family pulls on these rich people and one of the things that the um the son's friend says to him is that uh well the wife she's not very bright so you know um you should have no trouble um getting a job and then he ends up getting his whole family a job i really liked the presentation of like rich people as you know being you know not just kind of done dumb but like a lot less intelligent than all the poor Very people dumb. in the film <laughs> like a lot <laughs> less intelligent less savvy yeah yeah when you yeah, pull you've got to be cunning that's what the movie tells us I was gonna say it's, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's because they're a lot stupider and it's always sunny. But it's kind of like the it's always sunny, like desperation and degradation of being <laughs> poor and constantly wanting money and constantly coming up with new schemes or whatever. Only these people are really smart and they know what they're doing. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say, Shannon, the first half of this movie could be an "It's Always Sunny" episode. In fact, it is one, <laughs> isn't it? It basically is. There is one. There is one where. Um, Charler, these oh yeah, Charlie seduces the rich. Yeah, the just, rich woman uh, breaks her heart. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is always oh, in, in Philadelphia because the rich people want to like taunt, like they want to you know taunt uh, Charlie and the gang, and they end up getting uh, turned back on them. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all it's just a very fun to watch. How, but the only pro the problem is though, and the complication that um. Bong Joon-ho uh, gives to us is that in order to infiltrate the lives of the rich people, they have to screw over other working people basically. Yeah. They have yeah. to uh, get the driver uh, fired by suggesting that he's having, you know, sex in the in the in the boss's car. They have to um, get the uh, long time, you know, maid uh, fired by suggesting that she has uh, convincing the wife that the maid has tuberculosis. <laughs> doesn't. Which, by the way, I, I really appreciate. I really appreciate how bad the like firing reasons are in this and like how each firing reason is kind of chosen also to make the rich people seem like stupid and craven and like cruel. Mm-hmm. You know, creepy thing, of course, is like 
in this in, in this film, like the maid came with the house. Basically, she used to serve the person who built the house. And now she like came over and served the new people who bought the house. And it's just like she's just basically their very loyal, dedicated, sweet and kind and friendly slave, more or less. <laughs> and they still yeah. fire her um, based on like this, you know, very simple con job that they're that's run on them well and see the kim family don't just get her fired they also like basically poison her multiple times yes. her fired. <laughs> yeah. i did not know peach allergy was a thing but i guess it's possible it apparently is real i mean i read some interview with bong jun ho where he says that like yeah. a like uh like his like someone he knew in college had a uh, peach allergy or something and someone threw a peach at him and he got all red and Bong Joon-ho was like it wasn't me it wasn't me <laughs> I think that was his AMA I think he it was because I, I read that and that's all, literally all I knew about the movie was that thing about a peach so I was like okay a peach is gonna come <laughs> into play was, I didn't know about the plot I thought it was like a sci-fi movie or something I was like where's the peach like the title coming from the director who did the host definitely sounds like it's gonna be you know <laughs> uh-huh. like slither or something korean slither <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but not this one takes place you know firmly firmly in the real world it gets like super real at uh, certain points but you know there's a big uh plot twist in the middle where we find out that the loyal maid in this, you know, massive house built by, I think, a German um, designer, a famous German designer. He, uh, there is a panic room that the family who lives there doesn't know about, and the maid lets her husband live in it and he's been living in it for years secretly and the two cons like uh run against each other um because you know you ends up having you know these two you know poor families uh trying to both running you know these kind of scams on this rich family (laughs) and it just and you wish that they could work it out together but it ends up not (laughs) happening unfortunately con solidarity (laughs) <laughs> the actor who plays that husband is fantastic he's, he's so creepy yeah he's yeah, so that's exactly the word i was gonna use yeah like he's, he's desperate but fucking creepy yeah he's so like weird and and the really the the bad thing about him is that he's still loyal to um the ceo uh guy the par- park dung eek the oh, rich yeah. guy respect he's, yeah he's a fucking <laughs> elon musk reply guy <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that is the thing that ruins everything. That they that for some reason the maid and her husband still have this loyalty to this awful family who they literally have to have been living as parasites uh, off of. Sadly, because they don't have any other options, uh, she he has to live in the basement because he's running from uh, debt collectors. I don't know like how bad debt collectors are in Korea, but if this film is any indication, they're fucking serious about this. It shit. seems bad. Well, they also he also said that he went to like a uh, a loan shark. Didn't they say he like loan went, he went to a loan shark or something too? Yeah. Did they beat up the wife? Because she gets there in the rain and her face is like hurt. Because the first I thought it was the allergies, but I was like, did the loan sharks find her and like? Oh, interesting. Hurt her? I thought that was, was my assumption. Allergies. Yeah. I didn't think about because her that. lip is like messed up. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I guess that I think that could be a possibility because I'm looking at it right now. It does not like really look like 
how the allergy, like any kind of allergy. So maybe the loan sharks did uh, catch up her because she doesn't really say. She just says, "I'll tell you later um, what happened to her <laughs> yeah. right now." And then you know the two families uh, end up being the shit out of each other um, in order to hide. And that scene where like both of the families are fighting. And then, you know, the rich uh, mother calls and says, um, could, I need you to make dinner. I'll be home in eight minutes. So fucking tense. I, like, I, my, my heart stopped watching them yeah, try to get it. all their shit together and fix it up before the, the rich people got there. And because what you said about there being so good. Like, just the one twist in the movie, like, I think you're right that that's like the one twist. But even then, there are so many times when the movie just zigs and zags in ways that you would never see coming. It's like every five minutes, it's a totally different film, but it still just flows beautifully. Absolutely. Yeah, I also think that that kind of it's like this weird thing where obviously it's all heightened and there's this like con kind of going on and everything like that. But I think that it is like, you know, this thing of like a rich person can just call on the phone and then be like, everything has to be perfect for yeah. me as soon as I get home. It is this like weird thing. Like, yes, there's an, a heightened element of it, but it also is like a very real thing. That, uh, like, Jack, you know, rich people can just call. How is that heightened? That's just <laughs> reality. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's not heightened. I guess you're right. That's just I get well, everyday. I guess you're right. Yeah. That's just every day. Yeah. This is like how you know service workers are yeah. treated like constantly. Like, and it gets worse after that once they you know are able to finally escape in this very tense scene. Escape uh, the house. The the con, the Kims are able to escape the house secretly because they're not all supposed to be there at the same time. Um, then they come. They are coming out. It's pouring rain. They have to walk home because uh, it's in the middle of the night. And they get home, and their home is flooding with sewer water. And it's just like this completely like devastating thing because they were high on the hog like five hours ago, right? Their con was working perfectly. They were chilling in the house while the rich family was out camping. Uh, they were drinking. They were having a great time. And then they meet the other family and it all goes to shit. And then it gets worse and worse for them because like their home floods and gets destroyed. All their keepsakes, all their memories are just covered in like sewage water. The toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just it's, burping up black stuff and then getting electric <laughs> shocks touching. It's like, oh, my God. Well, it's, it's such an affecting scene. But then Bong Joon-ho still takes like 30 seconds out to have that toilet exploding everywhere. Oh, it's like hilarious in the middle of like fucking heartbreak. Yeah. And you like see them like making a makeshift wrath. Very, you know reminiscent of uh katrina uh directly you, you know you mm -hmm. see like out like because you see all the other homes are flooded too and then they all end up living in like a gymnasium and like all the people who have you know lost their homes they're like it living in, in the gymnasium like does happen all the time to people and you know the rich asshole parents like start getting worse to them oh i i should mention like early when they were hiding in the house the scene where the father talks about like how bad um mr kim smells like you know that's one thing right because he lives you know in that basement apartment they're talking about oh that he smells you know like old radish or like a rag or something and you, you just see the pain on all their faces because they're having to sit there quietly like while this you know rich asshole is uh denigrating them for something they like can't help or do anything about really 
and then they do some like poor person role play sex on the couch like yeah <laughs> yeah it was really weird he's like oh put on those cheap panties you found that really turned me on like, so weird yeah um rich people are awful um but uh after this you know we get you know where it all comes together you know the kims have lost everything and we see them you know going about doing these awful menial tasks to put together this impromptu birthday party while the oblivious uh mother calls all her other rich friends and say oh you don't have to bring a present please come to our party of course meaning that yes bring you know a 500 dollars present for my little uh shithead son who is doing who does cultural <laughs> appropriation throughout the whole film <laughs> which i think it is does. fairly deliberate like i saw some people commenting on it and saying oh this film is offensive uh, to Native Americans because the film is cultural appropriating like no I think it's like the rich people who are doing it because they're um, pieces of shit asshole I think that's what the, the point is trying to get across especially when yeah. the dad makes the other dad wear it when he doesn't want to yeah like later on yeah. it's not something that the, the characters that you sympathize with are into it's this dumb little kid yeah, and everybody has to, you know, treat him like a little prince. Um, um, be- and all this expensive shit is coming, like, imported from another country and shit, like, for just this kid to play around in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we get to the end um, where um, the guy who's been stuck in the basement um, for years, I guess, says, fuck it, and just starts stabbing people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that scene of him as a ghost is really scary. Oh yeah, it's super creepy. Or like yeah. that, when he sees the little boy, the way that was shot, it's like ooh, it's, I, he's not that scary of a character. But just that scene of the, where that traumatizes the little boy, it reminded like a Japanese ghost film or something. Mm-hmm. And really, that whole like the door to their base to their basement mm-hmm. pantry, like that absolute black that that entrance is is just so creepy and so like perfect like this is you know this is where the other world is this is where the other half is it's right there and it's just like but it's like pitch black you know doorway um that we don't really think about um what's you know could come out of it and what come out of what comes out of it is like this bloody uh faced man who goes <laughs> around you know, like stabbing and bashing people uh to death where everything you know kind of comes out and he atta- mostly attacks you know the kim uh, the kim family instead of like the rich people which is you know his mistake i think if he should he should have like gone after like all the rich assholes instead of the kim family i i was kind of hoping that they would team up and slaughter um all the rich folks <laughs> but oh, that only somewhat happens Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, this should have been reverse purge, purge I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, reverse purge. But what actually happens is he um he you know this family has the, the con uh the kims no one knows that they're all related to each other and so when uh, the guy who's been living on the ground stabs uh mr kim's daughter he's like trying to save her while his boss is saying leave leave her you need to take my son to the hospital what are you doing and he's just and mr kim just like uh, gets really pissed off and uh stabs his boss <laughs> for it <laughs> and um yeah i i was really hoping that he would then because they could have gotten away with it i think right if he had just gone and stabbed like those four ladies that were right there like who he could blame it on the guy who came from underground and like that would be it but um 
it didn't have that clean ending. Instead, we find out uh, that the dad uh, goes on the run. The family ends up uh, tried, but uh, put up, but they end up with probation basically just for being the con artists that they are. And the father ends up uh, living in the basement of the home. Uh, in, now instead, Mr. Kim ends up living there. And with this very, you know, kind of sad ending where his son, uh, tries, uh, says that now his goal in life is to get rich enough that he can buy the house so that his father, uh, can come out of hiding, which we all know, um, probably won't happen. Well, yeah, it's so touching because they give you a happy ending almost mm-hmm. if you ignore the rich part. Uh, or like wanting to be rich is a bad thing but no they give you as the view of a happy ending and then they just snatch it away like 30 seconds later and it's yeah oh it's masterful yeah it's like you know you you think that's real but actually it's just you know his fantasy that will almost certainly never uh come true and even if it did come true he's just becoming something terrible yeah you have to, to save his murderer father like it's not it's portrayed as this like bright ending. Doesn't the mom go over and take a picture of where they buried the lady or something in the yeah. like, fake flash forward? <laughs> yeah, oh, that yeah. was funny. And and so I, I do want to mention one thing that nobody else mentioned watching this film because a lot of people were saying you know oh the Joker isn't you know a really class conscious movie. Parasite is, folks. First of all, you don't have to put the two against each other we can have both (laughs) second of all the son gets jokerized in this film he gets jokerized when he gets the brain damage and he laughs uncontrollably (laughs) after that so this is another joker movie i'm shocked that nobody mentioned it i'm shocked that nobody mentioned joker is actually hidden within this movie (laughs) is what it is so parasite I, it's just i i feel like i haven't done it justice just to say how like how what a gripping film this is like i could not take my eyes off of it it's just you know it is you know still beautifully shot with lots lots of great scenes like um the a great you know color palette of great uh, he's doing the work even though it's not like you, you wouldn't think it's as visually stunning as you know a you know, sci-fi fantasy like Snowpiercer, but he does accomplish, you know, you know, similar uh, things with, you know, like the rain scenes and like the, and the flooding scenes. And like, I just love uh, how he makes films look. They look like real movie ass movies. And it's absolutely, absolutely another masterpiece by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's done it again. He really has done it again. Another one uh, uh, with like sort of modern, um, you know, important themes, uh, you know, that also, you know, again, like combines humor with tension. Uh, with, it's so like, funny. It's so uh, funny. He fucking does it. It's he's it's so funny. Like you said, you, you're right. You're right that the first half like kind of could just be an it's, it's always sunny episode. But, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, he uh, he he elevates it like he really he does bring something to it that. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think Bong Joon-ho might be like my favorite director right now, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think this might be the best dark comedy since In Bruges. I don't know how, how Struggle Session feels about In Bruges, but I love it. In Bruges and is this... my favorite movie. Oh, I love great. In Bruges. And yeah, this is the best dark comedy since that. Like, hands down, I think. Final words on Parasite. How, how What's our rating on it? Again, I got to give it a 10. <laughs> I got to give it a 10. I think I, I can't think of anything that could possibly 
improve this movie. And I actually think I might end up liking it a little bit better uh, than Snowpiercer. Not sure, but like I, this is just this movie is just a perfect dark comedy thriller it has like so many different moods and tones that all work together and still feels really really real and has like deals with the real world real people real issues and i just um love it loved it i mean me too you know i i you know where it stands against no piercer it's just like they're so completely they're like completely different movies yeah. and they're both so like big and special in their own ways like i like snow snow piercer is like an all-timer like kind of like you know dystopian sci-fi movie and this is like an all-timer like uh i don't know thriller small thrill we didn't even talk by the way that much about how like the whole house was built by his fucking prop people you know what yeah. I, mean? oh, I didn't like, know this that. was a house yeah, that, yeah, it's a yeah set. They, they like built the whole the whole thing is like a set which is extra oh they get 11 out of 10 then (laughs) (laughs) i'll give it 11 out of 10 too yeah i loved it it was really it was so funny i mean all of his films are but it was like hysterically funny and very moving and and uh coming from like a background where i've had to deal with a lot of stuff from being poor a lot of it was relatable although i've never lived in a house that was like flooded with sewage with a vomiting toilet but um (laughs) no it was it was great i'm very very happy with it i loved it yep 11 spewing toilets out of out of 10 (laughs) all right so before we wrap up Corey, why don't you tell us tell our listeners what is a void witch and why do they need to read that saga (laughs) okay a void witch is uh, a woman who has been uh, experimented on to have uh, immense telekinetic powers and so um, the Void Witch Saga is a trilogy of space opera novellas but whereas most space operas will be big and political I kept mine really small so it's about this woman the small group of like the small found family that she finds um, and the lengths she'll go to to uncover her past and protect the people that she loves um, it's ultra violent and um I think it has a lot of heart and I'm um, yeah, really proud of those little books. So Killing Gravity is the first one. And if people want to check that out, that would be great. Yeah, only three ninety nine over there on uh, Kindle, even though we don't like Amazon over here, of course. But I'm sure <laughs> like Corey will really appreciate the 50 cent commission that he probably gets off of it. <laughs> if they sound good, go to your local bookstore. Like I'm all about that independent spirit. Um, yeah. Just mm-hmm. ask your local bookstore and wait patiently for a couple of weeks for them to get it in. You don't need that shit next day. Yeah. It's all right. You've already got a big stack of books to read. Yeah. True. Corey, where can people find you online? All right. I'm on Twitter at CJ White. I've got a newsletter with some friends of mine, which is nothing.substack.com, and my website is coreyjwhite.com. All right, folks. That was strong, Have a good one.
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.